Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke and to chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is our text. We're finishing the third part of a three-part series on Christmas. Lord willing, next Sunday, we will begin a uh, study in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So you can be reading ahead there. But uh, this morning, we're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 21 through 24 and then verses 36 through 38. The topic of those verses is Anna, who gave a witness of the Lord as he was presented at the temple. And the title of our message is the Witness Presentation Program. (laughs) Luke chapter 2. Verse 21, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to, the, uh, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Down in verse 36, please. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful this morning that uh, we can have the joy of the Lord and that it is our strength. We're more thankful, Lord, that we have the word of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. Many of us have experienced that power. We've been saved, Lord, and are in love with you. You are our life and our joy. Perhaps there are others here this morning, Lord, who don't know you personally. They're seeking, struggling, or maybe they don't even know, Lord, that you've brought him to this place to encounter your son in his living presence. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in all of our hearts. You know each and every one of us intimately. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, in your power and grace, by your mercy and love. Use these words, Lord, from your holy scripture to do it. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. The three wise women of Christmas are teaching us various things. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, taught us the wisdom of waiting. Mary, the mother of Jesus, taught us the wisdom of worship. Anna, this morning, will teach us the wisdom of witness. Anna witnessed the Lord as he was brought to the temple as an infant, 40 days old. Then she gave a witness about him by speaking of him to others. The order is important. First, she saw the Lord herself, and then she spoke about him to others. The order may seem obvious, but it is also instructive. Christians are called upon to witness for the Lord. They are called upon to speak about him to others. Ask most Christians and they will tell you that witnessing is the most difficult thing about their relationship with the Lord. Perhaps it is hard to speak about the Lord to others because we are not first seeing the Lord for ourselves. 
That's what I want to explore this morning. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, approach the Lord and witness him for yourself. And then number two, appreciate the Lord and give a witness of him for others. First of all, approach the Lord and witness him for yourself. We're catching up with Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus 40 days after his birth in Bethlehem. Jewish families went through several ceremonies after a baby's birth. First, if it was a boy, came circumcision. Every Jewish boy was circumcised and named on the eighth day after birth. After eight days had passed, Mary and Joseph took the child to be circumcised, and they named him Jesus because that was the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. They did not go to Jerusalem for this ceremony. They probably had a local priest perform it in Bethlehem. Then there was the ceremony of the purification of the mother. For 40 days after the birth of a son and 80 days after the birth of a daughter, sorry ladies, the mother was considered ceremonially unclean and could not enter the temple. The offering would be made there uh, for the purification of the mother. The next ceremony was the redemption of the firstborn. A firstborn son was presented to God 40 days after birth in conjunction with the, prison, uh, with the purification of the mother. The ceremony included buying back or redeeming the child from God through an offering. Now, we think of presentation in terms of a baby dedication or an infant baptism. But it was something quite different. It was a ceremony paying the Lord a ransom for your son. He had to be redeemed from the Lord as if he were a slave. It reminded the Jews that God had redeemed them when they were slaves in Egypt by the slaying of the Passover lambs. As a result, they belonged to God and parents bought them back from God symbolically to raise on his behalf. Through this, the parents acknowledge that the child belonged to God, who alone has the power to give life. Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem and presented him, therefore, at the temple. And thus we read, in verse 21 of chapter 2, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, this would be 40 days, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who opens the womb, every firstborn male, shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you read back in the Old Testament, the normal offerings were a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or a pigeon for a sin offering. The priest would sacrifice these animals and declare the woman to be clean in terms of the purification ceremony. If a lamb was not affordable, the parents could bring a second dove or pigeon instead. And that's what happened here. And so the nature of their offering shows us that Joseph and Mary were relatively poor. I only mention this in passing because every now and then there is a teaching out there in Christianity by this kind of whacked out uh, health and wealth group that Jesus was really rich. 
that he had a family and he had wealth and, uh, you know, he owned real estate and, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and of course, if you believe that God wants you to be wealthy beyond measure, then it doesn't do you very much good to have a savior who was born to a poor family and never owned anything his whole life, even though that's what the Bible says. And so, uh, hopefully if you're lucky, you'll never encounter this, but if you do, you're ready for it. Joseph and Mary encountered Anna during their presentation of Jesus. From her description, we want to glean some things about approaching the Lord to see him for ourselves. And the first thing we learn about Anna was that she was a prophetess. Now, we tend to think of prophecy only as foretelling future events. But in the Bible, it also means to foretell the truth of God that's already revealed. God had raised up this godly woman, and we're not sure, but she probably did both, foretelling the future and foretelling the truth of God, which is really remarkable seeing as there had been no prophet in Israel since Malachi closed out the Old Testament with his promise of the coming of the Savior. Uh, It's so unusual, the things that God does sometimes, uh, how he would at this time pick this elderly woman, Certainly a godly woman, but this elderly woman who lived in the temple and just hung out there and give her the gift of prophecy. And I'm sure it stunned and astonished many people and wondered, you know, why is God doing that? Just when we think we've got God figured out in our maybe systematic theologies or our own way of thinking, he throws us a little bit of a curve. Uh, It's always consistent with his nature and his character. He never does anything out of character. Uh, But it's just interesting to us the choices that God makes. And so he had chosen this woman, Anna, to be his prophetess at this time. Now, Anna saw Jesus literally. She saw him with her eyes. But her words are what are important. And they indicate that she saw Jesus spiritually as well by faith. Because she predicted his mission on the earth. She saw him completing his work on the cross as the one who would redeem Israel and set them free. We want to see Jesus. That's what we're talking about in this section of our message. And by see him, I don't mean that we literally see him with our eyes. I mean that we see him spiritually by faith. And though Anna did see him literally, she saw him better by faith. And so we can identify with her and we can do it the same way Anna did through the word of God. In her case, she received the word of God as a prophecy. In ours, we receive the word of God in the completed scripture in the Bible. And so very simple. We see Jesus in the Bible. But the question is, do we really see Jesus for who he is? Do we see him as God in eternity past and then coming as God in human flesh, rising from the dead and coming again? In other words, do we understand Jesus when he says in the book of Hebrews, lo, I come in the volume of the book. Jesus quoting from the Psalms says that the entire Bible is about him. From cover to cover, from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. And and it's so multifaceted. This time of year, there are a lot of specials about Jesus on educational television. Everybody's trying to figure out who is the real Jesus. That's the phrase they always use. The search for the real Jesus. And they, they all assume that he was a human being only. And he, how did he do all of these remarkable things? 
because they only see Jesus with these certain kind of blinders, with this tunnel vision. And the Lord is saying, I want you to back up. I want you to see Jesus in the full scope of his glory and the wonder of who he really is as he's revealed in the Bible. Christians need to have this reminder sometimes. We can get tunnel vision about who the Lord is in our life. He's not doing what we want him to do in our life, in our, uh, our little corner of the world. And we have to step back and see that there's a greater picture, a bigger picture, a larger one that we are but a piece of. And so we want to see Jesus by faith fulfilling his word in our lives and in the world. Most people do not, but we want to. Now, we're told some other things about Anna in uh, beginning in verse 36. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Her family details remind us that this account is a real historical narrative. And just in passing, we want to say that the Bible is not afraid to give details. If you think that the Bible is full of contradictions or inaccuracies, it's not. This is a common uh, criticism of Scripture by unbelievers and by scholars. They just flippantly say the Bible is full of contradictions. Uh, And the truth is, it is just not. If you want to be mean, which of course you don't, And somebody says to you, well, the Bible is full of contradictions. Ask them to name one for you. Chances are they can't. Of course, it's kind of dicey if they bring something up that you don't understand. Then then they've got you, see. But the truth is, though, it's not a contradiction. It's just that we're not seeing it correctly. There are some difficulties in Scripture. I have a book, Bible Difficulties. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, how did this happen historically and all of that kind of a thing, there's fewer of them than you think, and there are always ways of understanding them. Uh, people would have you believe that the Bible is a, is a book of fables, that it's a book of mythology, that, that the disciples got together after Jesus died and said, gosh, we all want to be martyred, don't we? Yeah. Okay, well, let's come up with some stories, some crazy stories about Jesus so that the Roman government will track us down and crucify us upside down. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? And, and that they made up all these stories and they said, oh, Mark's gospel and Matthew's good. They seem to be at odds here. Well, no, they're just giving you different pictures of the same thing. Hey, we see this in the news today. You watch the regular news and then you watch the real news on Fox and you see what... <laughs> The news people can't even figure out what's going on. The same event, and, and you get it from all different sides. You know, I mean, a, a thousand years from now, if our culture was wiped out and people were studying our culture, they'd say, Hi, there was a contradiction here in these news accounts. How did this really happen? Maybe it never happened. And that's what the criticisms of the Bible are like. Uh, and, and so we have to be careful there. I hope I didn't alienate any of you politically uh, with that. It's just one of those things, you know. The phrase of a great age is used in conjunction with the other numbers, and that seems to indicate she was much older than 84. She may have been a widow for 84 years, making her at least 100 years old. And I ruined the math first service, and, and I know Gino's going to point this out to me. But So she got married. It seems like she was, had a husband for seven years, and then she's a widow for 84 years. Girls got married at like 14, 15, 16 years old in that culture. Don't recommend it, but uh, 
That's why you have to be careful when people say, well, I want to be biblical. I want to do what they did in the Bible days. Well, they didn't have running water for one thing. And that's, that's, you know, I mean, that's enough for me not to want to live in Bible times. But uh, they also were marrying off their daughters when they were 14, 15, 16 years old. 17, 18, you weren't married, man. You were an old maid. Uh, People started to wonder about you. Uh, They were starting to find old widowers for you to marry, you know, and stuff. So just bear that in mind next time you want to do everything biblical. We want to do it according to the principles of the Bible, not necessarily according to the culture that we find. This is very important. I don't want to get too sidetracked with this, but, you know, there are cultural things in Scripture. Uh, And and so what we're looking for are principles that are above culture and and that work in every culture. And so she uh, served God with fastings uh, and prayers, it says, night and day. If uh, indeed... She had been widowed for 84 years and and was over 100. She'd been serving God this way for her entire lifetime. And and it causes me to say that she saw God in her being widowed. She embraced him in it. She served him despite it. It was common in those days and recommended, actually, for widows to remarry, uh, you know, so that they would be taken care of. But Anna, she said, hey, apparently it's God's will for me to be a widow, and I will embrace that. Now, we don't know what life holds. Sometimes it holds suffering and tragedy, loss and loneliness. And as we remarked last week, and I'll say it again, this time of year, it seems to really draw that out in some of our lives in terms of the loss and the loneliness that we feel. But you can see the Lord in it as you look forward to the promise of his coming for you. You can serve him, whether it be through fastings and prayer or in some other way or ways that he determines. It's up to you. Life can make you bitter or it can make you better. And uh, let's commit to making ourselves better in the Lord. Now, you're told that Anna did not depart from the temple. She lived there. Her life was all about serving the Lord. And we can meditate on that for a bit and and ask ourselves, first of all, have we ever entered the temple, so to speak? And that's just another way of saying, am I a Christian? Have I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? Have I come into an understanding of really who he is in the full scope of the Bible and who I am in relationship to him? And second, if I am a believer, where am I at spiritually this Christmas season? Have I departed from the Lord even in a small area of my life? It's easy to notice people who are just full-blown backsliders. I mean, their sin is out in the open and they're just, you know, just out there. But sometimes the rest of us need to look at ourselves and think, now, that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, people build up to that. They lead up to that. And so is there some part of my life I should examine and, and take the time to bring before the Lord? Uh, have I departed, in a sense, from his temple? Now, remember that we are exploring the reason or the reasons why we do not have a more dynamic witness for the Lord. And I'm suggesting at least one of the reasons is that we are not first witnessing him for ourselves and that we need to be more like Anna, seeing Jesus in the Bible, uh, serving him on a daily basis and submitting to his plan for our life. I'm fond of reminding you 
of the church at Ephesus to whom Jesus wrote a letter in the book of Revelation. Uh, It's a very important letter for lots of different reasons. Uh, And it's just been on my heart for several years. Because there, that was a fantastic church. Any church would want to be described the way the church at Ephesus is described by the Lord in terms of their works uh, and their doctrine and their faithfulness in serving him. And then he says, I have somewhat against you. You have left your first love. And so that tells me, among the many things it tells me, is that it is possible to be outwardly doing all the things that I am supposed to be doing, but inwardly to have drawn away from the Lord. Not necessarily sinning. I'm not backslidden. It's just Jesus is no longer the focus of my life and my activities. My relationship with him has become somewhat of a religion or somewhat of a ritual. Maybe you just call it a lifestyle choice. Oh, I'm saved. I love the Lord in that sense, but I've lost sight of him personally. And we don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to myself, to you, to our church. And so Anna says to us, you need to witness the Lord. Not witness for the Lord. You need to witness the Lord. See the Lord. What has he done for you? Some of you have pretty amazing testimonies uh, in terms of having gotten saved older later in life. Uh, from time to time, I drop tidbits of my testimony. I, I mean, I, I'm sure that I would be dead by now if God hadn't saved me, or I'd be in a mental hospital, or I'd be in drug rehab, or in jail, or, or something like that. You know, it just you can see the trajectory of your life and where you were headed without the Lord. And then, you know, there's that total turnaround and you begin walking with the Lord. Uh, and, and it's just such an amazing thing. Uh, and, and yet sometimes we can drift away from the Lord and him being that central focus. And we get busy in the things of Christianity. Christianity is Christ. It's spending time with the Lord. Anna was in fastings and prayer. And, and we, we, we see that as an official thing, as a ritualistic thing. Oh, yes, I fast and I pray. It, it just meant that her entire life was dedicated to the Lord. And, and, and our life can be dedicated to the Lord in that same way. We don't have to stay at the church. In fact, we won't let you stay here and fast and pray all the time. We're kicking you out. Uh, but that doesn't mean that when you go out into the world... You, you can't have, uh, you know, on your heart the joy of the Lord, and that can be your strength. And so we want to see the Lord. I think you understand. And then we can appreciate the Lord and give a witness of him for others. If we see him first, if we witness him, then we'll give a witness of him. We'll have something to say. Day after day, for as many as 84 years, Anna had hung around the temple. She'd seen thousands of mothers purified, thousands of babies presented. And then one day she saw the Lord himself, God in human flesh, and she knew it. I jotted down in my Bible, it's a good thing she didn't sleep in. 
We want to learn some things from her about giving a witness of the Lord to others. Verse 38, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, I joked about her not sleeping in. But the first thing you learn is to be right where you are supposed to be. She came in that instant. It was something she did every day. It was commonplace for her, but she did it. And in that instant, she was where God wanted her to be, right where she needed to be. And it causes us to ask, am I where I need to be, spiritually speaking? Uh, in some of our cases, physically speaking, are, are we, is this where God would have me to be? In this job, in this church, in this relationship? And, and, and it's a good question. Our life is not our own. We were bought with a price, the Bible says. We're talking about the Redeemer, the one who purchased us. And we just need to know that we are in those places where God has us. And then when opportunities come up, we'll be able to give the witness that God wants us to give because we're where he wants us to be. It also encourages those who are saved and who are walking with the Lord that he can use you to give a witness of him at the most ordinary of times. As I've mentioned, Anna had seen baby dedications for decades. It was commonplace for her. But suddenly God could use her to give a witness in her everyday, ordinary activities. And I would hope that this could reinvigorate us wherever we live or work or go to school, that even though nothing maybe has happened in terms of witnessing for weeks or months or years that God could begin to use us right away, use us tomorrow, the next day, in these ordinary situations as we wait upon the Lord, as we have something to say about him. It says here, she gave thanks. It's because of Anna's thankfulness that I titled this section of our message to appreciate the Lord. Until we learn to give thanks always, whether we're abounding in blessings or being abased with buffetings, we just aren't going to have much of a witness. It's possible to be blessed too much. The children of Israel learned this many times in the Old Testament. God would pour out his blessings in their life. They would forget the Lord. Sadly, they'd even begin to think they earned those blessings, that they weren't really just of grace and mercy. In our buffetings, in our sufferings, sometimes we can forget the Lord, draw away from the Lord. Many times we're in a situation that we just can't stand and we in order to get out of it we have to disobey the lord uh, and and you know paul the apostle said i've learned in whatever state i'm in therein to be content whether i'm abounding or whether i'm abased and to give thanks to the lord anna spoke of him it says this may seem obvious but we should speak about jesus he should be the theme we get easily sidetracked talking about other aspects of the Christian life. We get sidetracked talking about other things that are not important at all. And then we get sidetracked even when we're witnessing to people talking about things. And we don't really bring it to the personal work of Jesus Christ. This is what I love about Franklin Graham. Uh, anytime Franklin Graham is going to be on television, I want to watch it. Larry King... 
Hannity and Combs, any of these programs. Because it only takes him, sometimes I time it, less than 30 seconds in answer to any question, and he's talking about having a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. He always brings it back to the focus, to the person of Jesus Christ. And you know what it means? Because Jesus is alive. He's a living person. He rose from the dead. That means he's alive. I remember when I got saved, uh, at, I, I, I'd seen the movie, The Late Great Planet Earth, and I don't know if I thought this or the Holy Spirit spoke it to but for the first time, even though I'd grown up in a Roman Catholic tradition, sort of believed in God, for the first time I realized that if Jesus rose from the dead, that he was still alive. Does that seem silly to you? But I'd never really thought about that before. My mind had been blinded by the devil. And I thought, wow, Jesus is alive and he lives in a dimension, in a, in a reality more real than earth, more real than, than the physical universe that I can interface with. And he's coming back. I need to know him. I need to meet him. I need to have fellowship with him. And so we want to talk about Jesus, not about Christianity. People already think Christianity is a religion. And then they line it up against other religions. And Christianity, it's a bad rap as a religion. It's too many things you can't do, right? Christianity is always about things you can't do. And, and people don't want to be told they can't do anything. So we need to jettison that and say, no, it's not about that. We don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about Jesus and what he has done. And then you'll figure out what you can and can't do. And you'll find out that the things that I would tell you now you can't do, you don't really want to do. You're only doing them because you think that they will fill an emptiness in your heart. That they will give you some satisfaction. But if you are honest, and when you are honest, you know that you're an empty, lost individual searching for God. And that's what this witness is all about. And so she spoke of him. And the ultimate message we have is the message of salvation. Anna, it says, spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. As Jesus was being presented for redemption, Anna let everyone know that he was the one who had been promised to redeem all of them once and for all from the slavery of sin. He would pay their ransom and free them to know and serve God. Now, the verse specifies those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem does that mean Jesus was only a savior to Jews in Jerusalem or that his work is in any way limited in its scope to a chosen few? Not at all. Anna's witness was limited in its scope. Her audience was Jews who visited the temple. She didn't have a radio program. She didn't write a weekly column in the Jerusalem Times. She hung out in the temple and she gave a witness to the people who could hear Probably a very small group, but they were those who were coming, going through the rituals of Judaism and sacrifice. And she was telling them that the one who would fulfill all the symbolism of their sacrifices and offerings was now on the scene in that baby. It was that baby who was going to grow up and be the redeemer by completing his work. Those she told could in turn go home to all the regions of Israel and to all the world and tell the same message. I wonder, you know, wouldn't you, there's so many places you'd like to be inserted into the story, wouldn't you? I mean, don't you, you know, I, you just want to be there. You wish there really could be a time machine, like in the movies, except everybody that gets in a time machine gets into trouble, I know. And so, but if you could just, this is one of the, I, I just wonder 
If these people, how they received this, did they really listen to Anna? Did they go home and say, you can't believe what happened today? God's redeemer is on the earth. Or did they say, Anna's been hitting the holy wine. (laughs) Who? You know, that old crazy old lady prophetess. I've told this story before and I'll shorten it. I'll truncate it. Uh, Big words sometimes pop into my head. They're not always the right word, but I think that is truncated version. There's always a few intellectuals in the crowd, and I need to let you know that I'm on your level, too. (laughs) When I was a salesman in Riverside, there was an old woman who used to preach the gospel at Raincross Square during lunch. Imagine a busy kind of downtown area, not like Hanford, a busy downtown area, (laughs) people milling about, and... uh, frail little old woman and she would just be up there sharing you know and and i'd walk by her one day and i I, crazy old lady you know giving christians a bad name and uh, god started telling me i should go listen to her and and talk to her and i said oh no 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 not this boy you know i've got work to do lord you know and stuff and i got to my car got and i kept having this impression stronger and stronger and I drove, you won't know the distance, but I drove all the way from downtown Riverside to La Sierra exit before I thought I was going to die. I mean, it was just so, I, I, I really felt like angels were, were going to just blow up my car or something. I had this overwhelming sense that I was Jonah, you know, and that, it, and, and it wasn't going to turn out very good for me. And so I turned around and I repented and I said, hopefully she's still there. Well, of course I had my fingers crossed and uh, sure enough, she was still there. And I listened to her for a while as people were laughing at her and some, she was preaching the God. I mean, she was teaching from revelation, really good stuff. I wish I had it on cassette. And uh, then she got done and as soon as she got done, she got down. She was very ordinary, and she, she started talking to me. And we had this great, because she's a really sweet Christian woman. Uh, and, and, and she just felt like this was the Lord's calling upon her life to preach the gospel. And she knew it was a difficult calling. She didn't ask for it. She wasn't crazy or loony or anything like that. And it taught me a real lesson. I wonder if, I wonder if Anna came across that way to these people. Oh, yeah, Anna's always talking about the coming of the Lord, you know. And, you know, this is a whole nother, uh, probably for a whole nother study, but sometimes we don't talk about the Lord because people think you're crazy. You know, you don't have to get up on a, a soapbox and preach, you know, to do that. You just start talking to your coworkers, and they're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, Jesus is coming, you know, and stuff. And they start blowing trumpets behind your back and stuff to see if they can scare you into thinking you've been left and, you know, in the rapture. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I just, I would like to put into the story at that point and just see what the reaction was. Your audience is limited. It's your family, your friends, your acquaintances, your neighbors, your coworkers, your fellow students. Or maybe it's a little bit broader. You know, maybe you reach hundreds or thousands. But as you share with them, the message can be multiplied might seem to you that those folks are not looking for redemption. Maybe not on the surface. Scripture says, though, that all have sinned and that all need to be saved or they will perish eternally. And it also says that God has put eternity in our hearts. It means that in some beautiful way, every human being is wired to know that there is a God. You don't know his name. You... you, you, you 
can't by searching find him out. He has to reveal himself to you. But you are built, created, born knowing that there is a God. Then there's creation itself. God gives you creation so that you can look out at creation and think, somebody must have made this. I, I don't even talk to people anymore who don't believe that there's a design a designer behind the design of the universe. Uh, because people like that, they're very intelligent, but they're stupid. <laughs> the latest theory is that order and design can come out of chaos. Remember we used to say as Christians, well, that would be like a bomb going off in a factory, and all of a sudden, poof, there was a 747 all put together. And people thought, oh, yeah, that's impossible. Not if you're a scientist. Why isn't that possible? Who says that can't happen? That's what happened in the universe. The big explosion and protozoa came out of the ocean, you know, and stuff. And now they're you and me. Uh, And so it's crazy. So you can't really, you know, uh, you can't engage them on that level. And then God's given us conscience. At At some point in your life... You have a conscience. Many of you still do, if you're, but, but it can be seared. <laughs> it can be seared. It can be destroyed. But you have a conscience. So, so you've got this, this, this gnawing feeling that you're not quite right. There's something wrong. There's something missing, however you want to put it. And you pursue various things. And, and even when you achieve certain things, they're empty. They don't fully satisfy You act like they do. You tell other people that they do, but they don't. And then you look out at creation and you suspect that there's a God behind it. And then you know that there's a sense of right and wrong. And that all of that is God reaching out to save you. Let's talk for a minute about being saved. The Bible uses different metaphors. The one in this section of scripture is redemption. It's as if you were a slave And a slave could only be set free if he was bought out of slavery. Some people don't like the idea, I'm not a slave, I'm free, you know, that kind of a thing. All right, let's set that aside. Let's use another metaphor that I think most of us will understand. This idea of being saved or rescued from a hopeless fall. Because the Bible says we've fallen into sin. Our parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin. And we've inherited their sin. And so we are fallen I'm not going to say that, and we can't get up, but that's the idea. (laughs) You've probably been following the tragic story of the three hikers who were lost on Mount Hood in Oregon. The latest news I read was Friday or Saturday. One has been found dead in a snow cave, and his two friends were believed to have fallen into a deep crevice. And because of the nature of that situation, they might not be found until spring. According to an article I read online at CBS News, the hiker who was found, and I quote, was laying on his side with his head on his pack. He had taken off his right glove, folded every finger back except the finger with the signature ring, and put it out. So he was reaching out, knowing he was going to die, apparently, and wanting to be identified uh, and identifiable for his family. But there he was with his hand exposed so that he could be identified, and the whole scene really reminds me of a scripture about rescue, about spiritual rescue. It's a scripture that pictures you as a sinner having fallen into a deep pit from which you cannot escape without help. And it portrays God seeking you to rescue you. God is reaching down to help you. 
reaching down to pull you out and up to himself, calling out to you. Here's the scripture. It's Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, the point I'm trying to make from this is this. God is portrayed as reaching out, as calling out. The sinner is portrayed as rejecting. It's as if you were on a climb, fell into one of these crevices, knew you were going to die. The rescuers are up above. They're trying to toss ropes down to you. You won't grab them. You won't respond to them. You just want to sit there and die. You could be rescued, but you don't, you don't respond. Now, that would never happen in, in a rescue situation. I mean, you never watch the news and they say, well, we tried to rescue him and he just didn't want to be rescued. Wouldn't answer us, wouldn't grab the rope, so we just left him there to die. That never happens. People, they can't wait to be rescued. The only time it would happen is if you didn't think you were in any danger. And that's the picture that we get of the human race. People who are in a deep pit, fallen into sin, but they won't admit that they're sinners. Their sin separating them from God. They don't know that they're in any danger. One of the things I think that we ought to do better as Christians is let people know the, the great danger that they are in. The great spiritual danger that they are in. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this comes judgment. We have only an allotted period of time in this life to determine our eternal destiny, our eternal destination. And if you're not saved this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you never really confronted the fact that you're a sinner in need of salvation, you're in a deep pit from which there is no personal escape. There, there's no amount of equipment that you can find or purchase or get that can get you out of that pit. No religion, no philosophy, none of the world's equipment will help you. But God says he is reaching out to you. He is calling out to you. Your sin is the thing that separates you from God. But your sin has been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you're here this morning, it's because God is reaching out to you to save you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for these things. They're precious, Lord. They're beyond really anything that we could imagine that you would do in condescending to us to show us your love and grace and mercy. And that we would be so callous and unconcerned about our eternal life, all the while you're reaching out to us through various means, through the, the, the emptiness in our own heart, through the creation that you've given us, through our conscience, through friends and family, through the preaching of the Word of God, church services, radio shows, many different ways, Lord, that you're revealing yourself. I pray, Lord, this morning that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this place, revealing your Son, Jesus Christ, to hearts that are longing for you, needing you, needing to be rescued and saved. While we're praying this morning, we do want to give everyone an opportunity. We just continue in prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we, we do want to give you an opportunity to get saved. We want to give you an opportunity to meet the Lord, to know Jesus Christ, to know that if you died today and when you die, 
you'll be absent from your body and present with the Lord because the sin issue has been dealt with. Though you're a sinner, he's a greater savior than your sin, that he died for you, took your sin upon himself and offers you his perfect righteousness. Ask yourself this morning, am I perfect? If the answer is no, then you need to be saved. Everyone's answer is no. Everyone needs to be saved. And what we're going to ask you to do in just a few minutes, in response to the good news that Jesus Christ has sought you out and wants to save you, is to do what this scripture indicates you ought to do, and that is to reach out to God. And and symbolically, we're going to picture that by asking you to raise your hand, a very simple gesture, but with profound implications, saying to God, yes, I am a sinner. I need salvation. I'm reaching out to you. We're going to sing a chorus. I want you to consider this morning your eternity, whether you are saved or not, what you are trusting in, who you are trusting in for salvation. And then I'm going to ask you, if you want to know the Lord, if you want to have the Lord as your Savior, to raise your hand and to reach out to Him, and He will save you. Let's sing together, Christians praying for those who perhaps are here that don't know the Lord, that the Lord would have His way in their hearts. Thank you for saving me What can I say You are my everything I will sing your praise You shed your blood for me What can I say You took my sin and shame A sinner called by name All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God There is none righteous, not one Instead of arguing with God that I'm not a sinner, realize that you are because you're not perfect and be thankful to God that there is a Savior. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're not sure that you're saved, you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, never asked Him to save you, I want you to raise your hand, symbolizing that you're accepting the Lord, reaching out to Him, anyone at all. God bless you. Keep your hand up just for a minute. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you and you. Anyone else here this morning? This, God bless you. Doesn't matter how old you are, on the floor, in the balcony, the Lord is here to save. He's been saving for thousands of years. You're joining the family of believers, those who will gather around the throne in heaven and rejoice. Anyone else? continue to pray. Let's sing another chorus, and I'm going to give you one more opportunity this morning. The Lord is working in your heart. Don't struggle against Him. Give in to the Lord's work. Allow Him to cause you to be born again, born of His Holy Spirit. He's not asking you to give up anything. He's asking you to come into a relationship with Him, the living, risen Savior. Let's sing. Christians pray. 
call upon the Lord, he will save. Is there anyone else here this morning that would be saved, that would know Christ as their Savior? Raise your hand in this closing moment. Change your eternal. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you in the back. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? It's, it's, it's so exciting to, to share with you a living, risen Savior who has the power to cancel your debt of sin and to give you everlasting life. Anyone else? God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, now we thank you for the work of your Spirit. We bless you, Lord. It's a good work. It's a strong work. And I pray for these souls, Lord, who've risen, uh, raise their hands that you would honor their desire to be committed to you, Lord. That you would minister to them by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord.